Hey, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3, going through the church of Philadelphia. Let's go ahead and stand up for the reading of the word, Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. Church, the sixth church with one church left, and then we'll get into chapter 4, which is the vision of heaven, chapter 5, and then chapter 6 begins the tribulation period, and so it's just going to be really exciting moving into the new year as we wrap up the churches and get going with the rest of the study in Revelation. Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13 says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my words about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Jesus, with that, we pray and we invite, Lord, we invite you to speak to us. We invite you to communicate truth to our hearts and lives, Lord God. We, we pray that you would feed us today, Lord God, with your word, and that we would be sustained by the truth of your word, Lord God, in a spiritual way, Lord God, that would have fruitful implications throughout our life, Lord God. And so, God, we invite you to do wonderful supernatural things in us and with us and through us. We need you, and we invite you, Lord, to do what you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may... Be seated. So Philadelphia is known as the city of brotherly love, and Jesus had only good things to say about the church in this city. Jesus had only good things to say about the church in this city. The church did three things that garnered God's approval. Don't you want to know what this church did to garner God's approval? I want to know what this church did to garner God's approval because when Jesus wrote a letter to this church, all he did was commend them and praise them and offer them hope for the future. This church did three things to garner God's, that garnered God's approval. God approves of them um, uh, because of these things. I want to say this before we get into that, that God approves of some things and he actually hates other things. A loving God actually hates some things. And so it's important for us to know that there's a difference, that God doesn't love everything that we do. He loves us, but he doesn't love everything that we do. God approves of some things, as we've seen in these letters to the churches, but he hates 
other things, and he makes that uber clear in his letter. So this is not on your screen, but Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, Paul told Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So Paul told Timothy to do the work necessary to present himself to God as approved. And so there's intentionality required from our lives, out of our lives, if we're going to live lives that God approves of. So there are things that God approves of, and there are things that God hates. Seven things God hates, also not on the screen, I added these this morning, are seen in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. It says this, here are six things God hates. And one more that he loathes with a passion, eyes that are arrogant, a tongue that lies, hands that murder the innocent, a heart that hatches evil plots, feet that race down a wicked track, a mouth that lies under oath, a troublemaker in the family. These are things that God hates. So if you're doing these things, you need to stop. In fact, twice in this list, Jesus or the, the Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs here mentions lying, that God hates lying. And in Revelation 21.8, among a big long list, it says that all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and sulfur. So God hates lies because the father of lies is Satan. And so when we are lying, we are acting like Satan. We are doing what Satan does. Satan constantly lies to us. Anytime you're feeling overwhelmed, um, condemnation, anytime you're feeling like there's no hope, it is the enemy of your soul lying to you, telling you that there is no hope, lying to you, telling you that you have gone too far this time, lying to you, telling you that you've got no way forward. Those are all lies from the enemy because as long as you've got a pulse, you've got a way forward in Christ because God is good and he is faithful and his grace is sufficient. So God hates it when we lie because we are acting like the father of lies who is Satan, Lucifer, the enemy of our souls. So God approves of certain things and we're gonna see those things that he approves of in this study today, but he certainly disapproves and even hates other things. And so if we're about some of these things, doing some of these things that he says that he hates, we need to repent. That means we need to change our minds about it. Some here in the room just naturally lie. It's just something that you do because you've grown accustomed to it and it's an easy escape from the truth. And so somebody asks you about your life and you lie about it because you're hiding out in something that you're not ready to talk about. There are people in the room who just have this, this, this habit of lying and God wants to change you and set you free from that 
Because maybe when you're dealing with customers, maybe you're serving people in some kind of industry and you're dealing with customers and when somebody asks you a hard question, the natural thing for you to do is to lie about it instead of own up to it. You will be freer in Jesus and represent Jesus fully as you decide to be a truth teller no matter what the question. So anytime you're asked a question on an application or whatever it may be, you are committed to tell the truth. I was working with someone yesterday who claimed to, to be a believer and this person lied to me over and over again. I didn't even realize it until later, but this person was habitually lying to me throughout the course of a two or three hour conversation that we were having. I'm like, this is the, maybe the industry that he's in or just the habits that he's developed to cope with life or to get through life or to do whatever it is, but he perpetually lied to me throughout the course of our conversation. This is not God's path forward and it's not God's recipe for success. You do not need to lie to have God's favor and to have God's provision in your life and for you to be successful in your business. If you are in this habitual state where you're constantly lying, God is trying to get your attention this morning if you haven't figured that out yet. Amen. And I'm thankful for that, that God loves us enough to get our attention, finally, that we might repent and change our path and move forward doing the things that, God's, that God approves of. So following the church of Philadelphia's lead, three steps to God's approval. Number one, and I'll just give you all three. The ch this, church, this church relied on God's power. It says they, but they, they had but little faith. And, or but, excuse me, but little power. They had just a little bit of power. But they were able to do wonderful and supernatural things because of the power of God. And we'll unpack that. This church relied on God's power. So if you're here today and you're feeling powerless, that's good. Can I just tell you that's good and that's okay because when you are weak, God is strong on your behalf. So this church relied on God's power. Number one, number two, this church kept God's word and going through and doing this Bible reading plan throughout the course of the 365 days of 2024 will help you to, as Brager said, keep your head in the word so that you might do what this church did and keep God's word. Number three, this church did not deny Jesus. So this straightforward list led to God's approval and God's reward. This straightforward list leads to, God, leads to God's approval and to God's reward. So Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13, unpacking it a verse at a time. Verse 7 says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. So Jesus declares truth about himself in this opening uh, verse to this church. Jesus declares that he is the holy one, that he is the true one. Our God is the sovereign one, and this church understood that to be true. This church understood the sovereignty of God. They understood that Jesus is the final authority on all things in this world 
and in the next world. The full weight of their faith was in the living God. This is why God commended, approved of this church. The full weight of their faith as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, in spite of their lack of power, they kept the faith and they stayed faithful to the Lord. This Philadelphian church's understanding of the sovereignty of God led to righteous living. When we have bad theology, we have bad living. When we have good theology, proper theology, our life is fruitful out of that understanding and we live properly before the Lord. Up to this point with each church letter, a repeat of part of the description of Jesus is mentioned in the opening verses. Not so here. With this church, we see a reference not to Revelation 1, but to Isaiah chapter 22, written roughly seven, 800 years prior. In Isaiah 22, we see a picture of Christ. In Isaiah chapter 22, we get clarity about what the phrase, the key of David, means. In Isaiah 22, there was an unfaithful leader that God replaced with a godly leader because there are things that God approves of and there are things that God hates. And this unfaithful leader was doing some things that God hates. And so this unfaithful leader was replaced with a godly leader who looked a lot like Jesus in his conduct. And isn't that what we want people to say about us? He looks a lot like Jesus in his conduct. She looks a lot like Jesus in her conduct. So let's read what happened in Isaiah chapter 22, verses 15 through 22. It says, thus says the Lord God of hosts, come, go to this steward, to Shebna, who was over the household and say to him, what have you to do here? And whom have you here that you have cut out here a tomb for yourself? You who cut out a tomb on the heights and carve a dwelling for yourself in the rock, behold, the Lord will hur hurl you away violently, O you strong man. So this was a strong man in the natural, but used his natural strength for his personal gain. God was not happy about this in the least. He calls him a strong man. He says, he will seize, let me just read verse 17 again. It says, behold, the Lord will hurl you away violently, O you strong man. He will seize firm hold on you and whirl you around and around and throw you like a ball into a wide land. There you shall die and there shall be your glorious chariots, the sh your sh you shame of your master's house. And I will entrust you, I will thrust you from your office and you will be pulled down from your station. In that day, I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. Eliakim means God raises or God sets up. So Eliakim, who looked a lot like Jesus in his actions and his character, was the man that God raised up, that God set up. Eliakim means God raises or God sets up. In this case, the name Shebna was synonymous with shame. 
You don't want your life synonymous with shame. And it's completely up to you. It's completely up to you. The verse goes on, and I will clothe him with your robe and will bind your sash on him and will commit your authority to his hand. You see the transfer of power. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem into the house of Judah. God was setting up a father figure, a man who would take care of his children, the people under his care. He would father them in a healthy and godly way, leading them as a good father would lead his family. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. So we just saw that in Revelation chapter three. These are the only two places I believe that we see it in the scripture. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. So again, Eliakim was a picture of Jesus Christ, the greatest servant of all. And he was given authority, the key to the house of David, the authority to open doors and shut doors, to rule God's people as a good father and not as a shameful scoundrel. Jesus declares in verse 8, back to Revelation chapter 3, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So this church had God's approval. Do you want God's approval in your life? I will answer for you. <laughs> well, I'm gonna let you answer. Do you want God's approval in your life? Yes. Absolutely, we absol we're not here on Sunday morning on the last day of the year because we're trying to get, uh, make, make our own way in life. We're trying to figure out what God has for us. We want God's approval in the day-to-day -day, uh, issues of our life. Jesus told them, I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So if you want God's approval, do like this church did, and number one, rely on God's power. So they had but little power. So the option for us is to rely on God's power, because when we are weak, he is strong. <laughs> when we are weak, he is strong, so we need to rely on God's power. Where did this church get the power to keep God's word and to remain faithful and not deny Jesus? Where did they get the power? Well, if they got little power in their natural circumstances, and man, they, we know that they got their power from God. This, the, the Lord gave them what was needed so that they would stand firm. They relied on God's power. The word power in Greek is dunamis, and it means strength, power, and ability. The, the power and influence which belong to riches and wealth. This church had none of that. Power and resources arising from numbers. This church had none of that. Power consisting in or resting upon armies, forces, hosts. They didn't have any of that. They didn't have much at all in the way of power, but what they did have was God's power. So this church as you would look at it in the natural, lacked power. But supernaturally so, they were able to do, live life in a way that brought God's approval. And so maybe you look at your own life, and you think, I'm, I feel so powerless. 
And we can all say that at different seasons of our life. I just feel so powerless. Like I don't, I've got no ability to control the circumstances. Like I can't change things. I can't fix things. But as you fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, as you are continually filled, as Ephesians 5 tells us, as we are continually filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, we have what we need in the moment. I was talking to someone years ago and, and um, we were talking about just trying to get through. I said, man, but just take it a day at a time. He said, you know what? I, I, I can only take it about half a day at a time. But that's okay. God will give you what you need, whether it's a day at a time or a half a day at a time or an hour at a time. If you're feeling weak in the natural, good. It's hard to feel that way in the natural. I feel like with every outreach, Christmas or Easter for a long time now, I get sick. It's, I don't like it. But for whatever, <laughs> for whatever reason, it keeps happening. So can I ask you, because I know that even though when I'm weak, I'm strong. Can I ask you guys, um, Jolene actually said, you need to get your intercessors, your, you need to get people praying for you around the holidays because every holiday you get sick. I'm like, I know, I'm sick of it. <laughs> so can I ask you to write it down, especially like the month leading up to a holiday and outreach especially? Can you just pray that I stay healthy and the team stays healthy? That'd be really helpful. Amen. That'd be really helpful. So, but you know, the other side of the coin is that when we're weak, God's strong and supernaturally he does what he's gonna do anyway. Paul talks about the lack of power in his own life. The apostle Paul talks about the lack of power in his own life. 2 Corinthians 12, seven through 10 says, so to keep me from becoming conceited, Paul wrote, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, he was receiving such amazing revelations from God. He wrote two thirds of the New Testament. And so he's receiving incredible revelations from God. And so to keep him humble, <laughs> to keep him humble, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from be becoming conceited. Verse eight, he said, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. It's the same word, dunamis. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul said, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power, dunamis, of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for when I am weak, then I am dunamis, I am strong. So whatever happens, we need to be faithful. <laughs> whatever happens, whatever we're dealing with in this natural body, this broken down tent that we have, we need to be faithful and we need to rejoice that God has given us breath for another day to do what God has called us to do. So Paul is okay with weakness if it means he will be strong as God's man. Amen. We need to keep a big picture, eternal perspective. Often we've got this very small picture uh, and perspective and we're only thinking, thinking about this life when God's thinking about 
the spectrum of our life and eternity. And so if we can keep those things in perspective, we will continue to be faithful even when we've got opposition coming against us. And a lot of us have had opposition coming against us this year. I've met with too many people who've had cancer diagnosis, who have died. I've met with too many people who have gone through hard relational things this year to not understand that we've got opposition coming against us. It's okay that we're in the natural week because spiritually we can, by God's grace, be strong. God's work is Paul's focus and pursuit. And so that's why he could say the things that he said. He was willing to be, to be weak in the natural if it kept him humble and strong spiritually. So I, with Paul, will say the same thing. And I think we can all agree if we've got an eternal kingdom perspective that if it means God's glory that we are weak in the natural so that we might be strong supernaturally so, so that God's work might be accomplished, so that we might have a fruitful existence in the earth, so that we might do what God has called us to do in the earth. If weakness in the natural, in the flesh, is what is required for strength in 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 our spirit man, then that's okay. And we will be okay with that, and we will rejoice in that. This church in Philadelphia was weak, yet they served a mighty God. They understood something about God. This mighty God strengthened them for God's work in the city. Jesus said, behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. This would be an open door for fruitfulness in their region because God doesn't place a church in a city for any other reason. He has placed a church in a city for fruitfulness, for kingdom fruitfulness, so that the kingdom of God might expand. And so we at Harvest Church, we need to continue to hold on to that, continue to remember that, that we are here on on this main street in the village of Arroyo Grande on purpose. God has put us here for purpose that we might be a part of the kingdom work that he has called us to be a part of. So God, to this church, has given them an open door for fruitfulness in their region. God used these willing people to further his kingdom impact in the earth. Though they were weak, though they didn't have much strength, they were faithful to be used by God. God would work on their behalf to protect them against their adversaries. Who were their adversaries? We see it right in the text. Revelation chapter three, verse nine. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. There's that lying thing again. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. So that synagogue of Satan, they will be judged if they don't turn to Jesus. The synagogue of Satan are the religious Jews who fail to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. The the religious Jews who held on to their religion, the law, um, performance. These Jews were called a synagogue of Satan. There are things that God approves of and there are things that God hates. God hated the synagogue of Satan 
Jesus died for their salvation so they might come to faith in him, but he hated what they stood for because they weren't following Jesus and they were hindering others from following Jesus. They weren't believing Jesus was the Messiah and they were keeping others from believing that Jesus was Messiah. God has his own way of identifying genuine Jews. You know what, you want to know what that is? You know what a genuine Jew is? We read about it in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. And this is true, by the way, of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Forever and ever, this has been true. This is what God expects from his followers. Romans 2, 28 and 29. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. God doesn't care what the outward looks like. He's not interested on the outward. He is interested on what's going on in a person's heart. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, meaning you're in the, you're, you're in the family of a Jew, you're in the Jewish family physically. Nor is, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the Spirit, not by the letter, his praise is not from man, but from God. So a genuine Jew is one who follows God from the heart. So Gentile, I'm a Gentile, but I have been grafted in (laughs) by God's grace into his family line, his family tree. I've been grafted in because, and only because, I trust Jesus from my heart has nothing to do with the outward stuff. It has everything to do with what God has done in my heart to save me, to seek and to save me. And he's done the same thing in your life if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, he's seeking to save you as well. You get saved when you recognize your need for Jesus and you turn your heart over to him. When you give your whole life to him. It's not just about getting, you know, coming forward or making an an outward profession, but it's about doing that, but also making sure that that sinks the 18 inches from your head to your heart, that you got to make sure that what God is doing in the world and in this church is impacting your heart, that you are a genuine follower of Jesus from your heart. Like it's not just lip service. God's not interested in your lip service, the external outward stuff. He's interested in your heart. A genuine Jew is one who follows God from the heart. These Jews were a synagogue of Satan. They thought their religious activity would give them favor with God. So I don't care how much you serve, how much you give, how much you do. If your heart is not right with God, you are a part of the synagogue of Satan. Because it has nothing to do with how much you give or serve or do. It has everything to do with the condition of your heart by God's grace. John the Baptist spoke harshly to the synagogue of Satan. In Matthew chapter three, verses seven through 10, it says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You wanna know if you're right with God? Check your fruitfulness. Are you bearing fruit in keeping with your repentance? And do not presume to say to yourself, he's speaking to Jews, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, 
the ax is laid to the root of the trees. And every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I think God is serious about what he is saying to us this morning. The church can only bear good fruit as we rely on God's power. Three steps to God's approval. Number one, rely on God's power. Number two, keep God's word. Revelation 3.10, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. And so the immediate reference would be to the official Roman persecution that would soon come. But the ultimate reference is to the tribulation that will encompass the whole world before Jesus returns to establish his kingdom. Many Bible scholars teach that Revelation chapter 3.10 is a promise that the church will not go through the tribulation, meaning the seven-year tribulation that is coming, but will be taken before it begins. 1 Thessalonians gives the same indication. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, and 10 says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. So, Don't look at this get out of jail free card as an excuse to be relaxed. I want us to live in such a way because we will and we are currently experiencing some tribulation, not the great tribulation, but we're experiencing tribulation as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ on a much lesser scale. But my fear is that on this much lesser scale, we're not even standing firm now. So what we need to be doing is being built up in our most holy faith, learning what it means to stand firm up against this tribulation, this difficulty, being fruitful in spite of it, in the midst of it. And then if by chance I've got it wrong about the tribulation period and we go through it, we're going to be ready to go. And we will stand firm through it. So whether we escape it or go through it, we need to be ready in Jesus' name. And we will be ready as long as we rely on God's power and keep God's word. Number three, three steps to God's approval. That was a quick one, right? Number three, don't deny Jesus. He said, I'm coming soon. Hold fast, hold fast, hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. What is Jesus saying? He says, when times get difficult, don't forget who you are and don't forget whose you are. Jesus commends their patient endurance because patient endurance was needed. It was needed then, and it is needed now. We must build up some endurance as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means we continue to march forward as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ in spite of persecution, problems, things that happen in our life because we have an eternal perspective. We're not living for this life. We're living for the next life. And so it is our job here to follow Jesus and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it is your job to be making disciples and baptizing people as long as you have breath. That is why you are here. Your job is to make disciples and to baptize people as long as you have breath. Your job 
as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, as made crystal clear in the great commission of our Lord Jesus Christ, your job, my job as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ is to make disciples, to baptize people in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our job. And so figure out how to do your job. Please figure out how to do your job because that is your job and you will stand before the Lord to give an account for your life. So you say, well, I'm not very strong. Figure out how to let the Lord work through you anyway. I can't tell you how many times I've stood in this pulpit feeling very weak, inadequate, not ready, but I've got a job to do. And so I stand in the pulpit prepared to do what God has called me to do because he is strong, not because I am strong, because he is good, not because I'm good. So quit bowing out of your responsibility because of how you're feeling. Get over it, seriously, because every other day you're gonna feel some reason for not doing what God has called you to do. So figure out how to stand firm, to grow in your personal endurance, to rely on God's power. You're better weak anyway. You're better when you're filled with the spirit of God, with the power of God. You're better that way. You'll say things that you didn't plan on saying because it's not you saying them. It's God saying them. But, but you've gotta be, you gotta put yourself in a position where you're ready to be used by God. So you gotta make yourself available. So whatever that looks like, make yourself available because if you don't do it now, it'll, we'll be here at the end of this next year in 2024, getting ready to go into 2025 and we're gonna be having this conversation again because we have this conversation all of the time. And I'm gonna be challenging you to do what you are created to do. And some of us need to be reminded that we're, we've actually been created for this, to be fruitful, to be salt and light in the earth, to point people to Jesus. Because when I get to heaven, I want to have a bunch of people say, I'm here because you told me about Jesus. I don't make any bones about that. I want to know when I, got to, when I get to heaven that my life was worthwhile here in the earth. That's all that matters. That is it. So I'm off the hook because I can't be any more clear about your job. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. So if you don't do anything about it, it is completely on you. My hands are clean. I'm going to sleep very well tonight. And I will continue to do just that by God's grace. So when times get difficult. Don't forget who you are and whose you are. Jesus commends this church, their patient endurance. Listen, we need to be careful not to deny Jesus in the way that we live our lives. This church was committed because they refused to deny Jesus. This is how you don't to make, this is how you make sure that you don't deny Jesus. You rely on God's power. Every moment of your day, you rely on God's power. You just keep relying on God's power. You just keep getting filled up with God's power, with the spirit of God. And you also won't deny Jesus if you keep God's word. Now, the promise to the one who conquers, to this church in Philadelphia and to you, to the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. 
and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. Listen, God will honor those who honor him. God will honor those who honor him. Walvoord wrote, as with the faithful in the early church, in the other churches, excuse me, as with the faithful in the other churches to whom Christ spoke, the Christians of Philadelphia are also promised blessings and rewards to come. The entire heavenly city is considered a temple or a spiritual temple. So these believers will be permanent like a pillar in the temple. And speaking figuratively, they will stand when all else is fallen. This promise, he continues, may have had extra meaning to the people of Philadelphia since their city had been destroyed by an earthquake in AD 17. And they dealt with perpetual earthquakes. And so the very city that they lived in was uncertain. But Jesus was going to make sure that they were established in his kingdom. Jesus will further identify the faithful as his own by writing on them three names. I want these names tattooed on me. The name of God. The name of the new city, the new Jerusalem, is discussed and talked about in Revelation 21 and 22. And finally, written on the faithful, the new name that Jesus will give to each of his saints that's mentioned in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. So three things will be written on us, tattooed on us. It will be identifying us. It will be the name of our God who saved us. It will be the name of the new Jerusalem, the city coming down out of heaven from God. And it will be the new name, which nobody knows, according to Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. It's a name that nobody knows. It'll be written on a white stone, but it will be given to us. It's a name that only God will give to us and only we will know. The last verse, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is three basic steps to God's approval. New Year's Day and New Year's is all about New Year's resolutions. So do a couple things. Read the Word every single day. Be a part of this daily Bible reading plan that our team is committed to being a part of as well. So we're going to be doing it as the Harvest staff team. We will be doing it. As a leadership team, we will be doing it. I encourage you to do that. So number one, rely on God's power. Do that every single day. Make that your, your intention. Keep God's word and then don't deny Jesus. If you do the first two, the third will be easy. <laughs> if you do, did you hear that? If you do the first two, the third will be pretty easy. Let's go ahead and stand and pray and invite the worship team up. Lord, as we stand and pray and invite the worship team, God, we, we thank you, God, that you continue to speak to us in your word. God, that you don't mince words. You don't confuse us by what you expect. You make it very, very clear. And by your grace and in your power, we can accomplish the things that you expect of us. So Lord, help us to do that, we pray. Thank you, Lord, for this church. It's been an amazing year, Lord. So many incredible things have happened this year. So many hard things have happened this year, but you have been faithful, Lord. So thank you for your faithfulness. God, as we close out this last church service of this year, we want to lift up holy hands, worshiping you in spirit and in truth committing to these things, God, relying on your power, keeping your word and not denying you this year, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.